1: what's up guys welcome to another episode of the no gimmicks podcast i'm your humble host as always brady leonard hopefully you guys had a good weekend um i mean hopefully you had a better weekend than me a uh, registered republican who's also a uh, pittsburgh steelers fan so that that's how my weekend went (laughs) but hopefully you guys had a good one uh great show today i was joined by my friend brad devlin it's always a great time talking to brad we uh You guys know what we discussed today. (laughs) Do I really need to say it? Uh, We kind of did an analysis of of where we are, how we got here, and and how the heck we're supposed to move forward um, with all the craziness happening in the world right now. Uh, Guys, before I get to Brad, please follow us on Twitter uh, at NoGimmicksPod uh, for as long as Twitter allows us to exist on their platform. Uh, But for the time being, we are on Twitter. Follow us there. Um, I would say follow us on Parler as well, but Parler is now dead. Uh, So i won't mention that one um and guys please uh subscribe on itunes soundcloud google play spotify i I don't know exactly how many people listen to this podcast because apple doesn't really give us a lot of uh stats on on the itunes side but i do have all my my analytics from spotify soundcloud all that stuff from my estimation basically only around a third of the the people that download the show every week actually subscribe on one of these platforms um So, definitely subscribe. A lot of you guys probably wait till you see it floating around Twitter uh, to know when we have new shows up. They ain't going to work. Who knows when Twitter's going to kick me off? So, please, guys, so you know when I upload new podcasts, please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, uh, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe. And, guys, please do consider uh, supporting us monthly over on Patreon if you like what you're hearing and want to get involved. Patreon.com slash the no gimmicks podcast. Without further ado, the great Brad Devlin. All right, guys, we're here with my friend, Bradley Devlin. Brad, how you doing?
0: Terrible. (laughs) Horrible. (laughs) I was on a juice cleanse last week. Oh, no. I'm a Steeler fan. Mm. Dude, 900 calories of juice, no coffee since Tuesday of last week. So I wake up Wednesday feeling like dog crap. And so it's all sugar drinks, right? Oh, no. So I wake up feeling like I have a wine hangover. Like you drank something super sweet all day. You were enjoying... I don't know, you know, blue Hawaiians by a pool <laughs> and uh, Trump rallies on. And it's just giving me a headache at this point, you know, so I mute it. And the next thing I know is I turn around. I've got like this NASA Space Center set up because I just got a new computer. So I got two big monitors, my Mac monitor for my laptop. I've got the TV right next to me. So I just kind of mute it and block it out. And the next thing I know, I turn around and there's people storming the Capitol building, Brady.
1: Yeah. And you had what to you had to watch go- you had to watch that whole thing hungry and sober.
0: Oh my god.
1: And then you had to if watch was... the Steelers just fall apart on national television hungry and sober last night.
0: So and... I didn't do that sober.
1: I will oh, good, say good, good,
0: good. Yeah. But the, the so the funny part is I accidentally thought that this beer was a blue moon. I like half I like like Belgian style whites, so I pour myself this blue moon and I taste it. And it's that pumpkin spice terrible blue moon. Oh, no. So, like, for the whole first quarter, the Steelers are playing terrible. I'm drinking this terrible beer. <laughs> it was not fun. But uh, hopefully hopefully we're looking up uh, this week, but I doubt it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I doubt it, man. It, look, for, for Republicans who are also Steelers fans, I mean, this last week has really just been a humdinger. And not i i'm pretty sad this morning brother like i uh where to start where to start uh let's just jump right into everything going on uh, all right view from thirty thousand feet this is where we are the left the left truly believes they have the kill shot this time i think that's where we're at they believe they can destroy the gop and destroy conservatism for good uh Maybe they're right. (laughs) Maybe they're right. man. I don't know. Maybe this is when the republic falls and and freedom dies and the left achieves all their psychopathic dystopian goals. Maybe or maybe not. Um, Your thoughts just overall on on where we find ourselves this morning.
0: Well, if you were the left, why wouldn't you take the shot? Of course, because a lot of Republicans right now are trying to appeal to the left's better senses, appeal to the left's, you know, uh, love for the institutions that are the United States of America. Yeah, since when? So what this what this past week has effectively done is it's taken, you know, ever since really Tuesday night, where uh, the Democrats were able to take control of the Senate, is it's refocused the Democrats from infighting that broke out after the results of the 2020 election right. onto their common enemy, yep. which is not just Donald Trump, it's the Donald Trump supporter who doesn't necessarily buy into, and I'm not talking about the Donald Trump supporter that attended the rally and stormed the Capitol, right? This goes for any Donald Trump supporter who doesn't buy into their cultural program. So if you're the left, you have a better shot than ever to take to take it. Like, I don't see why you wouldn't try to raise a new point of order to create a new Senate precedent to get rid of the filibuster. It, because people on Wednesday, those disgusting domestic terrorists who, you know, barged their way into the Capitol building and rioted and looted, uh, gave them the impetus to do just that. They, they're saying now, oh, you're worried about you know minority rights as in minority of a political or cultural minority. You're worried about minority rights in Congress, while well, a minority just tried to storm the Capitol building. So why wouldn't we make revisions so that the rest of us can be protected against these crazy lunatics? Now, the problem is me and you are included in those crazy lunatics, and people aren't realizing this yet. And I see so many Republicans on the media who want to come out and strongly condemn this. They're well-intentioned people, right? Trey Gowdy. I love Trey Gowdy. Trey Gowdy came out and said that the president incited this riot. Now, there's one thing to say that the president created the pretext and the conditions by habitually lying to his supporters that he had the good on voter fraud, when he most definitely did not. There's that. And then there's what the Democrats are saying. And the Democrats mean incitement in clear legal terms. And we know this from the articles of impeachment that they just drafted, which cites incitement as the high crime and misdemeanor that Donald Trump is guilty of to remove him from office. So even though Republicans want to come out and strongly condemn uh, all the actions on the, uh, that, that unfolded uh, at the Capitol building, right, the rioting and the looting, they're going to the step that says Donald Trump incited the riot, and the left is taking that as, yes, that is a a criminal standard established by Brandon Brandenburg, v- B- Brandenburg v. Ohio that – they're going to try to follow through on. So I'm not ever going to say that Donald Trump incited the violence. I will say that he created the pretext, that he laid the groundwork, that he, he he rallied all those people up into the emotional state where they could be capable of doing something like that. Yes. But he was not issuing the directives, and I think that we need to be really, really clear about that because we were really, really clear about this over the summer that there were millions of peaceful protesters, execute, you know, exercising their First Amendment right, and then there were the rioters and the looters. We made we took the time to make that separation and make that very clear. The right, the left, wasn't going to do that with the Capitol Hill folks. We knew they weren't going to do that, but the right is now buying into that line from the left, and it's kind of regressing the GOP to where we were in 2010 and 2012, consistently on defense. And uh, part of that is is their own fault, and part of it, of course, is the fault of the president.
1: Yeah, I mean, of course, I guess we should go back to last Wednesday, since uh, my Wednesday episode came out right before, (laughs) seconds, (laughs) seconds before uh, everything went down on Capitol Hill, uh, par for the course on this podcast. I, man, I swear, I, I, I'm starting to think everything <laughs> bad that happens in the world is my fault. It's like I sit down to record. I mean, Lord knows what's happening right now. <laughs> I mean, probably something terrible, Brad. But, um, yeah, I, obviously, is Trump to blame? I mean, yeah, I, he could have prevented this. He could have, even when when he saw that people were getting violent, he could have immediately gone out, gone to the Capitol and, and put an end to it. And he didn't. But, obviously, incitement is a very specific crime, you know what I mean? It, it's a specific allegation, and no, of course not. He didn't, He, you know, he didn't cause the violence the same way that Bernie Sanders didn't cause Steve Scalise to get shot, and, and Barack Obama didn't cause uh, the, the Black Lives Matter guy, you know, to, to kill those those five cops in Dallas. You know, no, that that's it's not an incitement, obviously, but the left is using this as an excuse to, I mean, they, they truly believe, I mean, they have convinced themselves um, that, you know, right-wing speech is violence and left-wing violence is speech. <laughs> I mean, they're they're yep. so deluded that they actually do believe that. And so they're obviously going to, to run with it now.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is the consequence of critical theory, not just critical race theory, but critical theory lar- more largely developed by the Frankfurt School, is that they're able to create these alternate ways of knowing and parrot those lies. Like, for instance— the right didn't blame the left for lying about the homic- quote-unquote homicidal, homicidal, racist bias of the police department, right? We didn't, we didn't say that. Hey, you guys laid the groundwork for this, for what happened in Dallas, for what happened over the last summer by continuously lying about these cop-related deaths, and so that's what you're seeing in real time. Is the end goal of, uh, or one of the key functions and key tenets of critical theory really taking a grip over the populace it's these alternative ways of knowing that uses storytelling and anecdotes so right now you're going to have the left drum up this narrative this uh, this false narrative about 75 around 75 million people in the country who ended up voting for the president in the november election and most of whom don't support the president's challenges of the election and most of whom have condemned the rioters in the most extreme terms, more extreme terms than the left ever condemned oh, of the rioting and looting that happened uh, over the summer. And, and so that this is what you're seeing. You're seeing the consequences of the right losing the institutional battle and the cultural battle and the battle over language, which is even, you know, culture is upstream from politics, but language is upstream from culture. So the Republicans have lost the battle on on both of those fronts. In, in culture and in politics for the last three or four decades. And you're seeing that come to bear.
1: I mean, I think most people, um, most people in this audience, most people in your audience as well, understand this. I Actually, I think the only people on the right that don't understand this are the, you know, the feckless cable news Republicans <laughs> who are just trying to, to get that strange new respect from the left, you know. I, unless you're one of these— you know, cable TV, chestless Republicans with, you know, smooth as a Ken doll in the nether regions, you know, if you get what I mean. (laughs) Unless you're one of these people, you understand that the left is effective. The left is dangerous because they're not bound by principles. (laughs) They're not bound by principles, okay? Like we have, you and I have principles, and I'm sure you go through this when you're planning out your podcast, and I, I do literally every day on this podcast. I'll look at something and say, eh, Maybe I shouldn't go there. (laughs) Maybe. Right. Maybe that's going too far. The left just is not concerned with such things. And that's why they get a lot done. I mean, that's why they're dangerous. That's why they won't stop by, you know, banning the president of the United States and his supporters from social media. They won't stop with big tech and the leftists in in government colluding to shut down dissent, like you saw with Parler being quite literally taken off of the Internet last night. I mean, they won't stop. I mean, their goal is the kill shot. I mean, they, they will not stop until we are all Gone. I mean, until the GOP is destroyed, conservatism is destroyed.
0: And and so here's here's something I want to point out, is that if the Republicans were in this scenario, they would have taken what they consider to be their kill shot. And that is – Maybe. And that is pointing out all of the absurdities that are baked into the progressive and democratic program, right, where the Democratic Party and progressives, they say they're utopian – right? They say they believe in this utopia, but look at the language that they've put out in terms to uh, wealth inequality. Look at the language right. that they put out in terms of climate change. They don't even necessarily believe that th- that we can solve these problems using government force, right? So once the utopian vision has worn off of Democrats and every future that they can see or predict is a dystopian future, then all they care about at that point is creating a dystopian future that favors
1: them.
0: 100%. That, that the utopian vision requires, right, for, for you to have a utopia, right, for you to to really be invested in, in you, finding your own sense of meaning and going your own way, uh, having relatively little relation to other citizens and kind of finding your own self-fulfillment, however the left thinks that you may find it, um you you have to have strong institutions in place that are so trustworthy that people don't even bother thinking about them all that critically or all that hard right if you finally say okay every future is a dystopian future then all decorum about the importance of institutions in the United States goes by the wayside and so you can you can really take the french revolutionary zeal which was was partially utopian right but say that now every single institution that we build can be temporarily can be temporarily or permanently altered however we may see fit in order to fall through on this dy- dystopian vision that we have for the future i mean it, it, and and parlor is a perfect example of that where all these big tech co- companies colluded in the wake of the democratic party announcing exactly the chairman that will be pro- like the chairmen that will be proctoring Uh, Exactly what happens in big tech companies in order to avoid regulation. What did they do? Well, they cracked down on an opponent that the Democrats could get behind. So the Democrats are cheering on the actions of AWS, Amazon Web Services. They're cheering on the actions of Google. They're cheering on the actions of Facebook. They're cheering on the actions of Apple. And 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 that's where we're at now. I really fully believe that we're not dealing with a utopian left anymore. We're no. dealing with a dystopian left. Yes. And 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 there's a difference between like saying uh, dystopian and that the future is just purely not utopia. I feel like people are like, oh, well, any future that's not utopian is dystopian. That's not the case. The the dystopian future is one that proclaims itself to be a utopia, but is anything but.
1: Yeah, and the thing is what we're seeing now is just the beginning. And we need to define I'll I'll let you know what what I believe the left's end game is because it we're just scratching the surface with what we saw over the weekend. I truly do believe that. And I get that the you know the the the, the, the you know cable news republicans that lack adult male genitalia would never admit this, but they the, what they want, what the left wants takes it about 10 steps further than what we saw. I mean, they want I mean, obviously, they want Republican silence. They want us deplatformed, and we saw that over the weekend. But they want us physically harassed. I mean, they want us fired from our jobs. I mean, you, you're going to see a coordinated effort to get anybody who voted for Donald Trump fired. Okay, and they're they're coming for—obviously, being kicked off of the Internet really sucks, right? Uh, it makes life pretty tough. But, like, they're not going to stop with social media. They're not going to stop with web hosting and stuff like that they're coming for the banks, man. I mean, they're going to try to make it so conservatives can't bank online, can't use things like PayPal, you know? Um they're going to come for travel. You know, I, really I, and I know a lot of people are rolling their eyes right, "Oh no, the the left is No, they're not. They would never. Wake up. <laughs> wake up. Like what, mm-hmm. what read the writing on the wall, ladies and gentlemen? They're coming for the banks next. And I think that may finally wake up some Republicans out of their slumber, but I really think Some dark times are coming, my friend. I I really do believe that, and we need to survive this moment. The left thinks they can finish this, but we just have to survive.
0: Right. What happens when you completely malign 50% of the populace from access from crucial institutions? Well, you get kind of a situation that's arguably worse than China right now. And China has an in, insane police state that affects not only 50% of the populace, but 100%, or 99% of the populace, right? But they still have some decorum of access to institutions, even right. though all of those institutions are touched by government. Uh, I had a phone call with uh, a <clears throat> I'll leave this firm unnamed but an unnamed firm that was looking into different consumer habits of conservatives and they were they were wondering like what types of you know we we see conservatives more active than they have before on the boycott front right. um, since since Donald Trump but what what are some types of business models that conservatives would be for what would, would there be and i and i basically told them like a, a pro american investment institution where we're only going to invest in American companies that are committed to the values and the conservative principles that we put forth. You know, we're not gonna we're not gonna invest in in companies that post little black squares on their Instagram. <laughs> we're not going to invest in companies that actively try to censor conservative speech. And I really think that if you had a groundswell movement like that in the conservative movement, that the conservative movement might stand a chance. But the problem is, is that the institutional barriers have now been created by this uh, intelligentsia on the left that are so high that it's going to take a lot of funding and a lot of focus from Republicans. Republicans, there's so many slacktivists yes. in in the the conservative movement where yes. they're happy to have a few thousand followers on Twitter, and that's about all they do. Ask them to knock on doors, they won't do it. Ask yep. them to get involved in academia, they won't do it. I mean, where the hell have— Conservative professors been in the and or in the YAF movement, right? Where have they been in in backing Turning Point USA uh, students on campus? Where have they been in coordinating efforts with college Republicans on campus? They've been nowhere, right? So <clears throat> that's what we're up against. It's going to create a concerted effort by Republicans to actually get involved in the institutional. Um, metaphorical. I mean, it's it's metaphorical warfare because I guess we have to use the word metaphorical now because we literally had borderline warfare last Wednesday, but it is definitely warfare. Um, and I, you know, the the left is so good at having, you know, the Paul Olinsky type of strategy mm-hmm. that boils down all this critical theory into this sloganeering that people live and breathe progressives live and breathe the movements that they're advocating for when they're out in the street, when they're organizing, when they're spending time. Republicans aren't that way. Republicans spend every two years. And is that a consequence of conservatism more generally? Sure, because your entire life shouldn't be dictated by politics. You're a very uh, sorry person if you are. But it ought to be dictated by your values, right?
1: And well, if your that's values
0: the- are against the left or are not left leaning and the left is set on destroying them, then I think you need to reevaluate what you're doing in your spare time to help forward uh, your values via the conservative movement.
1: Well, the thing is, the left is never going to lack enthusiasm. They're never going to lack motivation because like, we are dealing with religious zealots. I and mean, that's what the left is. They're a cult it's it's th- that this is their god. I mean they don't they don't believe in god, so they've replaced god with the state. Um, and they worship the state and they worship leftism. And yeah, man. I mean <laughs> if you if you worship something, you're you it's not going to take much to get you riled up and knocking doors and making phone calls and donating money. And like you said, you know, there's a lot of slacktivists on the right because we aren't religious about our our politics the way the left is. And I don't know I mean and I don't know how we combat the left, because we're never going to—I mean, people on the right are just never going to be as active as leftists are, because we have other things going on in our lives, and they don't. I mean, they've really just made politics this all-encompassing cult. You know, it's it's all—they they wake up thinking about how much they hate Donald Trump. They eat breakfast, thinking about how much they hate Donald Trump. They go to bed, you know, thinking about how much they hate Donald Trump. It's, it's all-encompassing to a lot of these people, and— I, you know if you talk about you know, we, you know we talk about the enthusiasm gap in elections but just in terms of activism there's always going to be that enthusiasm gap in favor of the left because it has become their religion
0: well i mean think about the way the left operates right you think about the the cult obsession with some of these figures where they're they're making votive candles they're making prayer candles wow for yeah. for for their progressive yeah. figures i mean it, it is Fully insane. But it's not just this like symbology, this use of, of political, of, of, of religious symbols to forward their political goals. Um, it, it's, <laughs> there's penances, there's right. confession of sins, there's, there's all sorts of religious, uh, religious actions and and following that that uh, that goes with leftism i mean there's there's forced confessions there's public rituals there's uh, effectively excommunication there's inquisitions on the internet right there's tithing even i mean uh, there's there's (laughs) heavily there's heavily police virtues there's sacred texts um i mean this is this is fully functions like a religion in 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 a lot of different aspects Um, so I think people really need to wake up to that idea that these people come with that righteous religious indignation when they're considering whether or not they get rid of the filibuster, whether or not they are considering getting rid of the motion to recommit in the House of Representatives. And I don't think people are connecting those dots yet, but I think, uh, as we learn more about the fallout from last Wednesday, they will.
1: And, uh, it, it's not just the cultural left that is trying to capitalize on this. It's not just the cultural left uh, that believes that they have uh, their kill shot. It's, it's on policy, too. Um, and you saw this. And as soon as the Capitol riot went down, I, uh, I, I, I texted from friends. I was like, watch, Joe Manchin will come out and change his mind about everything now. Joe Manchin will use this as an excuse to vote to end the filibuster and to add D.C. and Puerto Rico as states and all this stuff that he promised. He went on Fox News and promised the right. Oh, I would never do this. I'm just nice old Joe Manchin. I, I go hunting, too. I'm not going to steal your guns. Well, he said yesterday that he's open to adding D.C. and Puerto Rico as states. So, yeah. I mean, they, they, it's not just the cultural left. It's, it's this incoming administration and this incoming Congress. They're going to try to capitalize on all this as well on, on a policy level. Maybe before the Capitol riot, Biden may, as long as he stays alive and, and keeps, you know, Kamala Harris out of the Oval Office, Biden may have tried to slow roll a little bit of his evil psychotic agenda. Not anymore. Not anymore. Uh, they're coming. <laughs> they're coming with bigotry. I, I'm sure you saw the statement made by by Joe Biden yesterday where he said uh, his his economic focus. Is going to be helping business uh, businesses owned by minorities. <laughs> so, right. so the federal government it will now be working exclusively <laughs> to benefit people based on the color of their skin. <laughs> so that's fantastic. Right. The, Talk there, about there systemic is a racism. Yeah, concerted you know, and
0: com- effort. Yeah. To get rid of the fourth, for the Fourteenth Amendment uh-huh. by the left. I mean, <laughs> I accidentally said fourth. They're coming for that one too. Yeah. Um, but they're they you know they're the groundswell support of trying to pull back the 14th amendment pro- protections yep. is straight out of the critical race theory playbook, right? It's, it's that racism is not a ab- aberration in society. It is the normal state of society. You only have to figure out how and when racism occurred. And so you see that logic being brought to its eventual ends by trying to effectively undercut the 14th amendment, right? I mean, California, thank God for most, moderate Democrats in California because it wouldn't have it wouldn't have uh, been opposed if it hadn't been for them. But California tried to remove protections in its constitution for people to be treated equally (laughs) by race in the distribution of public funds. Yeah, I mean, and thank God that the the measure actually was defeated by a higher by a higher uh, vote vote tally or a higher percentage than it was enacted um, back in the 90s. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think that you're absolutely right about Joe Manchin. Is that now, like, I wrote this piece called, uh, What Does a GOP Nightmare Scenario Actually Look Like Now That Dems Controlled Congress? And it basically is like the first step to any of this is to give Joe Manchin the farm. Yeah. Is to apply consistent pressure to Joe Manchin and name the state, you know, West Manchuria, you know, like just na- yeah. <laughs> name the state after Joe Manchin for all that all the Democrats care. Get him on board. With changing the Senate filibuster, and then all routes are open, right? Then you have the ability to blow up the Judiciary Act of 1869. That would allow you to pack the Supreme Court. Then you can go after the Judiciary Act of 1891. And now all of this would happen after of course they they reform the filibuster um, by not actually defeating the filibuster which is is outlined in basically Senate rule 22 so Senate rule 22 is is basically the the rule of cloture where you need to have 60 votes to move on from debate yada yada right, right. they're not going to have the the 60 votes necessary to completely scrap the rule or change the rule but what they can do is that they can raise they can create a new Senate precedent right they can use they can use reform by ruling or the nuclear option in order to do it and so basically you have a point of order and then the chair who would be kamala harris in this scenario could agree to that point of order and get rid of the senate filibuster so after that you add puerto rico and the and dc as states through house res- resolutions uh or through congressional resolutions that are passed by simple majority votes in both chambers even though dc would probably meet constitutional challenges um i you know what are you going to do you're going to wait for the supreme court to act (laughs) how much confidence do you have left in the supreme court you know uh, i don't i don't really know how much confidence you can say is that oh we the 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 congress just granted dc statehood and the and the supreme court's going to come in and revoke that right i doubt it so at that point when you add three to four more democratic senators between the uh you know, the four senators from DC and Puerto Rico, Joe Manchin loses all, all his power. And then they move on to the Judiciary Act of 1869 and the Judiciary Act of 1891, um, the first relating to the Supreme Court, the second relating to the uh, U.S. Court of Appeal system. And from there, you move on to the $4 trillion tax hike. Then you move on to the Green New Deal, right, which Kamala Harris has already come out and said that she'd support Getting rid of the filibuster to pass a Green New Deal. So then you get onto the really big ticket items, and all of this happening at the same time, where Nancy Pelosi is reforming the House rules. I don't know if you saw this because this went massively undercovered. Is that now Nancy Pelosi has said any bill that is relating to um, climate change, the exact, the exact, the exact uh, language is. Uh, measures to prevent, prepare for, or respond to the economic, environmental, or public health consequences resulting from climate change, and then the other provision is measures to prevent, prepare for, or respond to economic or public health consequences resulting from the covid nineteen pandemic right so all of those all of those bills in the House will no longer be subject to paygo, which basically says, okay, if you're going to increase mandatory spending. Uh, By the federal government, you need to increase taxes or increase revenue elsewhere uh, in order to not increase deficits in the future. Right. So so all of those all of those rules are now out of the question. There needs to be no consideration by the House, uh, at least on on. Bills that broadly are encompassed in fighting the covid-19 pandemic and climate change. And remember, they've they've broadened these things. So any any bill about racial justice, they could fit into the covid-19 pandemic or to climate change. Any any bill about taxing the wealthy, they can fit into climate change. They can fit into the covid-19 pandemic. So this just gives democrats broad powers to get massive chunks of their agenda passed and the only person standing in their way is joe manchin who has come out and said he'd consider state uh you know adding dc and puerto rico as a state but uh of course we're going to going to need filibuster reform first so if if joe manchin's offered the farm i'm not very confident in him to uh hold the line
1: no i mean i think joe manchin's a snake i mean he says he's pro-life and then uh uh, you know, has a consistent pro-abortion voting record. He says he's pro-gun and then consistently votes to restrict gun rights. I mean, I think he's just a liar, like all the rest of these politicians. Um, but look, man, what do we do? <laughs> like, that, that that's what a lot of people are sitting around thinking this, this morning, is, is what do we do? How do we fight back? Obviously, we hold no power in the federal government, um, unless you want to count the Supreme Court, I suppose. So in terms of policy, on a governmental level, it has to come from the states. And there are a lot of states with unified Republican legislatures and, and those states need to get active. Okay. They need to change these voting laws, get rid of this ridiculous, insane universal mail in voting nonsense. They need to redistrict some of these commies right out of office. Love me some gerrymandering, Brad. <laughs> All about it. No, but really, I mean, they need to weaponize the redistricting process. They need to get rid of universal mail in balloting. They they need to, you know, go on the offense. Uh, Like like you said, you know, we conservatives, we are constantly playing defense. The time for that is over. We need to go on offense, go on offense on on things like guns. Right. Start expanding guns, gun rights in these states, things like, uh, you know, constitutional carry and and, and stuff like that. And you can even sell it to the public, uh, you know, on like a racial basis. Right. Like, say, you know, it's not fair that convicted felons uh, can't carry a gun and, uh, you know, America's so racist that more black guys have felonies than white guys, so why is the the government keeping the black man down? You know, unless unless the guy had a a history of like murder or rape or something like that, they should be able to carry a gun. So make it like a racial issue and expand gun rights, you know what I mean? Things like that. Um the, uh, it, these these Republicans on the state level have to get active and for guys like us. I I hear a lot of people talking, you know, oh, I'm just going to delete Twitter. Right. Let's just delete it. Let's get off. You know, that's insane. (laughs) Please, if you if you're listening to this, please, conservatives, do not delete Twitter. That's what they they want you. They want you to be silenced. Make them kick every last one of us offline. Okay. Do not retreat. Don't give them an inch. If they're gonna silence you, make them earn it.
0: Yep. Yeah, and it's kind of this—it's funny political martyrdom that's happening on the right right now, and so sadly, stupid. you know, the the yeah. political the political martyrdom has. Uh, that's why the, there's so much grift, is that like someone would have said like someone two years ago said something insane on Twitter, Twitter suspended their account, and then they became this like figure on the right with no political experience whatsoever, <laughs> right. uh, and it's like ah oh, Jesus, you know, like at least Nicholas Sandman who's like. Uh, you know, who was treated horribly by the media, who uh, had this, uh, you guys know who Nicholas Hammond is, right? This the, guy, the this kid, Catholic, the Covington yeah. kid, the Coving, Covington Catholic kid right, at least he was honest about, like, I have this massive following on, on Twitter. I This event made me want to get politically active because I saw how these people treated me. And so what did I do? Well, I went and interned for, you know, Team Mitch's campaign, you know, right. Mitch McConnell's campaign. I'm not going to profess myself the arbiter or this know-it-all about conservatism. And you have a lot of that type of grift in the conservative movement right now. Um, you brought up, like, kind of turning the the <laughs> I don't like to racialize arguments, but basically your point was is that you need to use some the yeah, you need you need to use the left's tactics against them. Yes. And so what is the left's tactics? How were they able to take control of so many of these institutions? Through a process called normalization politics. Mm-hmm. Now basically normalization politics is that like if you can create small minority coalitions within institutions and create about, you know, make a a fifth of that institution come into your camp, you're able to basically bully your way into power, into these institutions. Now, what does that look like? Well, it looks like Google employees getting together in order to get rid of James Damore and to condemn James Damore's Google memo as sexist. It looks like Spotify employees trying to organize in order to get Uh, Joe Rogan to, you know, for Spotify to no longer carry some of Joe Rogan's old episodes. Uh, It looks like uh, in academia, this happens all the time. It looks like people from uh, African-American studies and gender studies and sociology coming together to pressure the administration to retract invitations from conservative speakers to speak. So that's the tactic that conservatives have to start using against Democrats in these institutions the conservative donor class is obviously elder they're white they're wealthy and they want the tax they want the tax uh deductions associated with donating to 501 c3s how is that working out for us how many institutions have been taken over by the left while we've been focusing on donating millions and millions of dollars to these ineffective poorly organized 501 uh, c3s on the conservative side that continually violate their own values i mean we've we've seen this just race recently with yeah. of course turning point usa in the last few years yep. and uh sadly what's come out about YAL and all of that is tragic and horrible and th- all these organizations despite their flaws despite their massive horrible actions and flaws have helped contribute to the conservative movement, but now we need to move beyond that, yes, now we need to have our donor class not so concerned about getting a goddamn tax deduction because they donated to a conservative cause. Right. Remember the left eats, breathes their causes, yes, they don't care about a damn tax deduction. No. we need to put money back into helping people into these institutions and say, you know what if this institution comes back hard on you and tries to expel you and tries to fire you, we're going to help you. We're going to help you figure it out. We're going to help you find another employment opportunity elsewhere. We're going to raise money for you to keep living because what you did, you stood up to one of the biggest, baddest institutions in the world. You stood up to Twitter that has a market valuation larger than, you know, a hundred plus GDPs of countries of actual countries so enough of this. You need to support normalization po- political efforts in these institutions by ac- by by accurately providing pressure. You go after the teachers unions. You help small town conservative teachers take back their teachers unions. Yes. You help steel workers take back their steel unions. You help. You help people take back big tech. You help people take back higher education. You need to provide these people with the resources where they at least feel like they have a certain safety net because what is what the left is so good at doing in these normalization politics efforts is when they fail, there's always a fallback, right? There's a reason that Stacey Abrams and John Ossoff in, a, in political sense were able to th- fail upwards, and that's because the left had their back, and the left realized their utility within the movement. Just because you lose one battle doesn't mean you're going to lose the war. Yes. And that's what the left has realized, that the right has consistently failed to to realize and, and to market to their donor class. And that's what we need to do moving forward, is we need to take the left's own tactics and, and use it against them.
1: It's a lot easier for the left, though. Um, but one, we already mentioned the religious nature of leftism itself. But also they're collectivists. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot easier for collectivists to think collectively than it is for a bunch of individuals to uh, to come together and support each other. Uh, but if we don't start supporting each other, if we don't start taking care of the people that are fired for their for their political beliefs, if we don't start having each other's backs, we're not going to survive.
0: Right, I, and I think that federal yeah. like if just go and reread federalist 29 by yes. james madison which like the europeans believe is the only major contribution to political sciences that Amer- that set to political science that americans have ever made um reread that see that the whole like they're collectivists but individuals are very capable of organizing together yes. to have a common Common good and purpose, right? This was this was the entire the entire impetus for James Madison saying a constitutional republic with democratic inputs will create factions that will balance each other out and will enable people to organize on an issue by issue level uh, in ways that they see fit. And so that's what we have to do. You need to get off like this whole Twitter spat between like the Twitter spats had on the right, like uh, um i'm trying to think of the perfect example but like one of one of them's porn right like how much time has the right on twitter talked about porn <laughs> yeah now it's a worthwhile fight there are some atro- like atrocious things that are on Pornhub and these other porn sites but like that's the fish we're flying right now yeah like yeah. I, I from a theological standpoint i have the utmost respect for so many of the Midwestern slash like truly conservative Catholics that are saying, hey, you know, some of these some of these birth control options like Plan B um, borderline are abortion. And you know what? If that's you know, if you're if you're a religious Catholic, then, you know, you have the right and you and you probably do believe that in many in many circumstances. But uh let's stop focusing our time on plan B and actually focus on the hundreds of thousands of unborn children yes. being aborted every yes. year first. Yes. Right? Yes. Let's actually focus on the things that are happening right now instead of infighting about about the the nitty-gritty of our ideology. That's fun to do in our limited circles. I mean, you and I talk about it offline all the time. Um, we talk to other people offline about it all the time. But our organizing efforts, yeah. right, we need to come together, even though we're disjoint factions, we need to come together and not say, oh, well, that person's no good because they didn't agree with me on this irrelevant topic to what we're talking about two years ago on Twitter. I can't stand that person and their view on, religious liberty because they disagreed with me that you know xyz thing that the senate or that the house shouldn't have changed rules to allow people to wear religious headscarves on on the floor (laughs) you know save it no one cares
1: no no one
0: cares you're absolutely
1: right you're john
0: ossoff and Raphael warnock agree on a bunch i don't think so i think probably john ossoff in his heart of hearts thinks that Raphael Warnock is probably a little insane. And I think that Raphael Warnock thinks some probably pretty racist things about John Ossoff, if we're yeah. being all honest. But what did they do? How about Ilhan, they Ilhan,
1: up. Ilhan Omar and Chuck Schumer in the same party?
0: Right. They sucked it up and they get along. Yeah. So that's what the right needs to do. I mean, the right needs to stop this nonsense because what are the ramifications when we're, we fail to organize like this? I mean, literally, you were one of the first people— who tweet? Who put on Twitter exactly what I was thinking? That the biggest loser on Wednesday was the First Amendment. Yep. Like yep. that. That's what they're coming for. Because if we don't do it now, we will never have the opportunity to take back these institutions. We will never, never have the opportunity to to actually have uh, this this conservative awakening that we're talking about. Yeah,
1: you're absolutely right, and that that's such a good point. Um, about the the ridiculous infighting on the right, uh, we really need to knock it off. Um, the left, I mean, you see in, infighting on the left, but they just they squash it behind closed doors. I mean, AOC voted for Nancy Pelosi to remain Speaker of the House, so I mean, after talking all that smack, so it's like the left they're so much better at at uh, you know keeping keeping people in line. Um, and, and you're absolutely right, man. Look, like I'm a radical libertarian i mean i I'm, I'm not I'm not quite an anarchist, but I'm not far off. I believe that basically ninety percent of the government should not exist okay and I get along with you know establishment Republicans I get along with the conservatives, I get along with moderates I get along with everybody that comes on the show because if you want to be freer than you are right now this very second, then you are my ally period right if, if you want the state less important than it is right now whether it's by 95 percent, like me like if you want the federal government i want the federal government 95 percent smaller than it is right now but if you want the government one percent smaller than it is right now you are my ally and i might start losing hopefully i lose some allies down the road hopefully we actually shrink the size and scope of the federal government eventually and and because
0: guess what that means that we're winning yes if you have the time to Argue about the nitpicky details. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That means that you're at the point in time where you're winning. Yep. I remember you tweeted out. I tweeted out this a while ago, which was we're witnessing the death of Milton Friedman in real time. Yeah. And you were the first person to favorite it. Now, I love to prescribe to Milton Friedman's view of of economics and po- economics and political rights, but it can't it can't thrive in the current state that we're in. Yeah. Right. Like if if you want Milton Friedman esque economics and and that view of political rights to live and let live kind of uh, type of thing, uh, you're you're <laughs> you're going to have to to have some strange bedfellows because personally, I see the the left taking on the same types of challenge to Milton Friedman's view on political economics as China. Where China said, "Okay, we'll let go of the economics, but we're going to clamp down with both hands on the politics, right. and we're going to make it so hard for people to exercise their political rights that we're going to try to prove essentially Milton Friedman wrong." Yeah. So that's what people like. I think you're absolutely right. Is that like you? If you want the government one percent percent smaller or ninety nine percent smaller, you need to be in the same boat. Yep.
1: Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of allies right now. You know why? Because we've been getting our asses kicked.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. exactly. Yeah, yeah. And- there, there's, there's a reason why you know the the U.S. finally got involved in World War II, and it wasn't just because you know on the on the European front, it wasn't just because Japan bombed us in pa- Pearl Harbor. <laughs> right.
1: The
0: the, the the west Western civilization was getting its ass kicked, and the United States needed to take a stand for it, and that's kind of that's kind of where we're at metaphorically. I would
1: absolutely love to have an argument with you in five years, Brad. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like we we shrink the government by 50 percent and uh, you get off the, the libertarian train and I keep on going and we start disagreeing yep. on stuff cuz you're like hey man we cut the cut the government in half isn't that good enough and i'll be like no man like it's not good enough and then we have an argument about it like i would right. love i'd love for that to happen
0: <laughs> but until that to, happens we're all on the same page i love to go back stage. to arguing about jefferson and hamilton yes. and the institution of the first national bank yeah. but we're not there anymore no. folks no. i mean Guess the biggest rule change aside from the PAYGO stuff that I mentioned earlier was uh, um, in House rule. uh, The biggest change in House rules, other than the one that I mentioned earlier about COVID 19 and climate uh, bills not being subject to PAYGO standards, is that Democrats who were fighting with each other not two months ago have now come together to get rid of the motion to recommit. 100% that the progressive yeah. caucus endorsed Nancy Pelosi's move to get rid of or advocated for Nancy Pelosi's attempts to get rid of the the motion to recommit and who came alongside them and actually got it over the line moderate democrats why well because moderate democrats were tired of republicans using the motion to recommit to get them voting again on things that they could go back to their districts and paint them correctly as radical leftists, because what did the Republicans use the motion to, like, first, what is the motion to recommit? When you're the minority party in the House, you have the chance to raise a motion to recommit with instructions. So if that's the case, what you do is on the floor, you you submit the motion, and it basically adds an amendment into the bill right then and there, and they vote on it. So one of the bills that they used the motion to recommit on was hr8 i believe it was um it was basically about background checks in purchasing firearms and so the republicans said okay you guys want these broad background checks on firearms that's that's uh you know we're gonna have to we're gonna have to accept the fact that we're in the minority party but what provision are we gonna add on what amendment are we gonna add on we're going to add an amendment that says that if, a, if an illegal immigrant tries to purchase a firearm and it goes through the federal background checks and it's found that they're an illegal immigrant, then ICE has to be notified. And they were able to get 26 Democrats to vote for that provision so that it got through. Right? That was the spoonful of sugar that helped the medicine go down for House Republicans, knowing that that bill was never going to be taken up by the Senate, and it never was. Yep. What did they do in the process? They got 200 Democrats voting against a provision in their own gun background check legislation that said, if it comes up that illegal immigrants are trying to buy firearms, that that we're not going to use any sort of immigration enforcement to help crack down on that. So it just completely showed the Democrats' hand and where their priorities are, and that's why the Democrats have gotten rid of the motion to recommit. Now – the, your motion to recommit cannot come with instructions. You can't add an amendment and then vote on it right then and there. You basically can only send the bill back to the democratic controlled how you know committee where that bill originated from, so or where that bill was heard and read so So that's what the the Democrats are doing in real time. The Democrats understand this. Uh, idea that if you want the if you want the government one percent bigger or ninety-nine percent bigger, you're all on the same team. And that's what Republicans fail to understand and, and what's happened in the process. Well we're getting our asses kicked and they're taking every single power that they can away from Republicans and government.
1: We get that figured out, we start fighting how the left fights or we don't survive and the country doesn't survive. It's that simple.
0: Yep. Sorry
1: sorry for the hyperbole. Sorry to sound extreme, but it's it's the truth. <laughs> it's the truth. And if you don't believe me Open your freaking eyes, ladies and gentlemen. Just look—you know—look at look at the writing on the wall. Brad, thank you so much for doing this, man. I, there was a whole bunch more I wanted to get to, but we ran out of time. Uh, I'm sure. I think we
0: got. I think we got to the important stuff. We we did.
1: We did. Um, so hopefully, hopefully, we can expand on in future podcasts more solutions uh, to these problems. I know it's it's all fresh. Uh, it's right here. I think we laid out a little bit of what, what the GOP needs to do going forward, and we'll definitely expand on that in the future. My friend, uh, thanks for doing this. I'm sure we'll do it again soon. Where can everybody check out your show, which is fantastic, and I highly recommend. Where can everybody follow you online and read your stuff and all that good stuff?
0: Yeah, so I'm the host of the Elephant in the Room podcast. We haven't done an episode in a while because I am out in Orange County um, quarantining. But once I get back up in D.C. and get all my crap moved out there, you know, I moved I moved out there in October, and then I moved back uh, for the holidays in early November. Um, so once I get all set up and established, we're going to start be doing, we're going to start doing regular episodes again. So the elephant in the room, I'm going to bring on some GOP strategists this year and talk about the GOP steps moving forward and exactly what I kind of talked about today with Brady. Um, so follow me there on SoundCloud. Uh, the podcast is available on Google play on Apple podcasts. Also follow me on Twitter at Bradley Devlin. Um, and read all of my stuff on the Daily Caller.
1: Everybody follow Brad. He's great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I will be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks.